So from uh, Psalm, uh, Psalm 10 is our reading today. O oh Lord, why do you stand so far away? Why do you hide when I am in trouble? The wicked arrogantly hunt down the poor. Let them be caught in the evil they plan for others. For they brag about their evil desires. They praise the greedy and curse the Lord. The wicked are too proud to seek God. They seem to think that God is dead. Yet they succeed in everything they do. They do not see your punishment awaiting them. They sneer at all their enemies. They think nothing bad will ever happen to us. We will be free of trouble forever. Their mouths are full of cursing, lies and threats. Trouble and evil are on the tips of their tongues. They lurk in ambush in the villages, waiting to murder innocent people. They are always searching for helpless victims. Like lions crouched in hiding, they want to pounce on the helpless. Like hunters, they capture the helpless and drag them away in nets. Their helpless victims are crushed. They fall beneath the strength of the wicked. The wicked think, God isn't watching us. He has closed his eyes and won't even see what we do. Arise, O Lord. Punish the wicked, O God. Do not ignore the helpless. Why do the wicked get away with despising God? They think God will never call us to account. But you see the trouble and grief they cause. You take note of it and punish them. The helpless put their trust in you. You defend the orphans. Break the arms of these wicked, evil people. Go after them until the last one is destroyed. The Lord is king forever and ever. The godless nations will vanish from the land. Lord, you know the hopes of the helpless. Surely you will hear the cries and comfort them. You will bring justice to the orphans and the oppressed, so mere people can no longer terrify them. Brilliant, thank you. I just want to correct myself. I said, we're here from the Bible, and then we'll hear God's word. Um, that wasn't quite true. We've just heard God's word read to us, so thank you so much. Now we're going to hear it explained, and we're going to think about what's just been read to us. Uh, thank you, Lindsay, for reading. Uh, the subject of today's talk is justice. Um, and uh, this is part of our series over the summer called Heart Songs. And it's just a series of collections, I suppose, of songs from the book of Psalms in, in the Old Testament of the Bible that just give some sort of voice to our human experience, the cry of our hearts. Um, we, we thought about intimacy, the desire and the cry for intimacy on our first week, and then revelation last week, how can we hear the voice of God? And so this week then we're looking at this, this uh, heart song called Justice, this cry, this desire for justice. We've just been hearing about that. Um, and uh, this is an important topic, I think, because uh, pretty much everybody in here, I, I, in fact, no, I say everybody in here has experienced injustice of some form. There's no doubt about it. Um, in, in various ways, in various circumstances, we've all experienced it either personally or by proxy. Uh, we've seen it on our TV screens and on our, on our uh, media feeds and all the rest of it. But for many other people, justice or lack of justice that we see in the world is like a, an obstacle to faith, an obstacle to believing in God or believing in Jesus because we can easily look out and say, well, why is there injustice? If there is a God, why is there injustice in the world? Um, and, and, and yet... Uh, the more you look at the theme of justice, particularly in the Psalms, but also in, in all, all of Scripture, uh, the more you realize how frequently it is referenced. 
justice, the cry for justice, the injustice around us. It seems to be a major theme of Scripture. And I think, therefore, it just shows us that it touches on our human existence, on our human experience, more than we realize. So what we'll be seeing then as we, as we uh, just spend a few moments together thinking about this psalm is, uh, first of all, we're going to be looking at how we experience injustice. How does it come to us? Uh, secondly, we'll be asking, uh, seeing from this text, hopefully, how God acts against injustice. And thirdly and finally, then we'll be thinking, how can we overcome injustice? Okay? So first of all, how do we experience injustice? Um, in these verses in front of us, in, in uh, Psalm 10, the psalmist um, is lamenting. It's called a lament. He's just saying, uh, it's, it's, it's a cry. He's saying to God, uh, why are things as they are? That's what a lament is. It's a shout out to God. And he gives us a really vivid description of what injustice looks like or how it feels in his experience. And pick that up through verses 2 right through to verse 11, a bit more after that as well. What does it look like? Um, it seems to be that, that uh, you know, he's referring to a type of person or a group of people who are acting unjustly in his experience, in his society. What are they like? Well, he says these people, in, you know, for example, in verse 2, he says the wicked are arrogant, they are hunting down the poor. Uh, in verse 10, for example, it says that they, they use lies and cursings and threats to, to um, you know, to uh, do their injustice. Uh, manipulation techniques to control. It says in verse 8, they lurk, you know, they pounce on the innocent, the helpless. Uh, do you notice that they, they, are, they are waiting to murder innocent people in the villages? They're easy prey in the villages. They don't have the reinforcements that cities would have, the walled, you know, uh, surroundings, the defenses. In the village, it's just sort of open prey. And that's what these people are doing. They're out there trying to target the vulnerable, the low-hanging fruit. They refer, this group of people are referred to as the wicked. And their activities include things like crushing the poor, using them, abusing them, oppressing them. Whatever they can do to better themselves and their cause, they will trample on the weak, they will destroy them, whether they're orphans, whether they're the helpless, whether they are widows, whatever. That's what they get up to. That's how the psalmist experiences injustice. But worse than that, or in addition to that, it seems that they are getting away with it. In verse 5, for example, you can see there, they succeed in everything they do. They do it because it works, and it gets them what they want. So they keep doing it. They think they're invisible. Uh, sorry, invincible. You know, they're almost behaving, and they're saying, look, we have no, there's no justice for us. There's no God who's going to come after us. There's no punishment for us. We, we, it's, it's open for us. We can do what we want. You know, verse 6, for example, nothing bad will happen to us, they say. In verse 11, they say, God isn't watching us. He's closed his eyes. He doesn't even see what we're doing. Therefore, we can just carry on as we wish. And in this song, in this heart cry, the psalmist is crying out to God. And he's saying, God, make it stop. Why are you letting it happen? Yeah, why? Why are these people getting away scot-free? Why don't you just come down and do something, God? That's what lament is all about. And I think, I think, I think that is natural within us. Um, when we see injustice, when we experience it ourselves, we know 
we know intuitively that that is not right. And, and, and we respond with anger, with indignation. We say, we want justice. And something within us says, the strong eating the weak, that is not okay. That must not happen. A few months ago, there was an elderly neighbor just around the corner from us, We Tommy. And uh, one day he opened his door. He lives on his own. I think he's learning difficulties. He opened his door because uh, it rang, and there's two people, two men, disguised as sort of uh, members of the electricity board, come to check his meter or something. They weren't. He let them in. Uh, he pushed, they pushed him to the ground, roughed him up, punched him in the face, nicked a few quid, went off again, left him really shaken up, bruised, battered, afraid. And we, we got the message on the neighborhood WhatsApp. And a little kitty was formed, and you know, some of the local residents went and bought him some cash. You know, what can we do? We'll just give you some cash. It doesn't make it better, but that's all we felt like we could do. But when you hear stories like that in your own neighborhoods, it makes you angry. You just say, no, that is not all right. You cannot do that. Why is it that we feel like that? Why, why is it a problem for us when we hear of such stories or the ones that they were telling earlier on? Because if you think about it, if we live in a, a world where there is no God and a world where there is no higher power, then why is it wrong? You know, surely we could say to ourselves, natural selection, that's what it's all about. The strong survive, the weak will perish. What's wrong with that? It happens in the animal world, why not us? And that seems to be the attitude of these people in verses 2 through 11, the wicked as they are called here. They think, they act as if there is no God. Whether they say they believe him or not doesn't actually matter. They act as if he's not there. They say there's no supreme judge. No one's going to come after us. There's going to be no penalty, no punishment. And look at where it gets them, the injustice that they are happy to do. And you might, you might say to me today or, Think to yourself, maybe, well, okay, fine. We don't, we don't need a God for justice. We don't need a divine, a sense of the divine for justice because justice is, is what society considers to be right or wrong. We can, we, can, we can come to that conclusion without God or a God or gods or whatever it happens to be. It's something we can all agree on. If we just, as a society, understand what is right and wrong, we can create um, a system of laws around those principles. We don't need God. To which I would say, well, what society are you referring to? Um, because as you, as you know, there's society, then there's society. Radically different societies across the world and through various times uh, through history, society has been very different. Society is certainly not a very settled and fixed idea. And you might say, well, it's Western society with our democracies. That's what I'm talking about. If we have that, then we have justice. To which I would say, well, look at our European Western democracy and see where it's got us. Look back a century and see the bloodshed, two world wars, the devastation, the loss of life was off the scale like nothing we've ever seen before. That's a society with democracy and classical music and nice trees along the roads those who perpetrated terrible evils in the 1930s in Germany, 
the Nazi party, don't forget, were, after all, democratically elected. But I suggest to you, and Christianity teaches, that that sense of anger that you feel towards injustice when you see it is because you have been created in God's image. And you have been created to do justice. You've been created to be just, to seek justice. Because if we understand justice as as peace, as a hungering for all things to be as they should be, that's something that's been inbuilt to all of us. And it's there because you've been created in God's image. As I said at the start, I'm pretty sure that you've either seen or experienced personally injustice of some form or other, from the small to the tragic. We don't need to hunt too far, do we, for examples of injustice. Um, The Russian invasion of Ukraine is a huge injustice. Innocent people are dying through no fault of their own. Their homes are lost. They're fleeing their lands. If they can, if they've got resource, the poor in Ukraine do not have resource. They're stuck while the bombs and the things are whistling around their heads. Not to mention those who manage to get away. There are predators waiting for them at the border, like in verse 9, like lions crouching and hiding, waiting to pounce on the helpless because they see these fleeing refugees as an opportunity to make money, to traffic them, to enslave them. And that enrages us. How dare you pick on the poor and the needy and the weak and the vulnerable, the refugees. This Friday past was the 50th anniversary of what has become known as Bloody Friday. If you've read about that, 21st of July, 1972, 22 bombs went off across Belfast, resulting, amazingly, in only nine deaths, two of which were children. 130 people, at least, were injured. Uh, Hundreds of thousands of pounds worth of damage. The city was brought to a standstill for several days, as you can imagine. They all went off within an 80-minute period one lunchtime, when everybody was out and about. And yet, to this day, there's been no convictions for this. And we say, oh God, why? I picked this example because it's a recent anniversary. There are so many examples throughout the Troubles that we can think of. But perhaps for you, it's even more personal than that, the sense of injustice that you feel. Perhaps in some form you have been the the subject of abuse or some kind of mistreatment. Something's happened to you, maybe over a period of time that was not your fault, you were the innocent victim, and yet you've been hurt physically, verbally, perhaps you've been slandered, been disowned. And today, maybe as you come to church, you're, you're carrying that weight with you. It's like a prison. You're stuck in it. And so maybe these things that we're looking at here in Psalm 10 just tr- chime with you at a very profound level. You know, your, your heart is sort of coming, meshing with the, the psalmist here, and you're crying out, saying the same things that, that he is saying here. Why? Why, God? Well, if that's you, or if you feel that uh, in any shape or form today, then that brings us to the next bit, because we can examine, examine now how God acts against injustice, how God acts against injustice. It's not you on your own. 
We can all agree with the existence of injustice, irrespective of our faith convictions, but the Bible has this unique contribution. It has a God that acts against injustice. He is not therefore passive. He is not dismissive. He is not unaware. He actively works against injustice. Why does he do that? Because he is just. That's who he is. It's out of his character to not be just and not actively work against injustice will be to deny who he is. God cannot do that. His justice, his perfect standards are woven into everything he touches, everything he has created. Imagine for a second uh, an orchestra. don't know if you're into classical music. I'm not really. Um, but I had to learn um, in school and everything. I played the trumpets and I was in an orchestra for a bit. It wasn't very good. Uh, but just imagine a large orchestra for a moment or two. You've got the, the, the brass, you know, the, the woodwind. You've got the strings. You've got the percussion sat out of the back. And imagine uh, they were told, you know, the different, different uh, instruments. Imagine they were told, look, just play whatever you like. Crack on. Whatever sounds good in your eyes or ears, do it. And off they go. And everybody's playing everything and everybody's having a go and they're, they're arguing about the best way to play this or this is the tune we're going with, but what key? But I prefer this key. And you just imagine the noise, the din, the shouting, just horrible. But then imagine the composer comes along who has spent time constructing this wonderful symphony, this melody with its different parts, its, its beautiful music, its harmonies. And then the musicians take those things and start to play what they're told to play. And then the orchestra starts to perform and starts to hear what the composer originally intended, this beautiful, life-giving, soaring music. In some ways, then, when we think about justice, it is very similar. Justice comes from God. He is the composer of justice. He is the standard and it's down to us to listen to him, to uh, live in the way that he intends for us to be doing. If we decide to go around doing our own thing or making it up as we go along, we step out of the harmony that he has created. We play different notes. We start to sound bad. It starts to turn ugly and messy. We are out of step with the mind of the composer, which is God himself. That's injustice. Except for us, it's more than just a bad noise that we can turn away from and block our ears. This is severe disruption to God's intended pattern for beauty, for life, for freedom. And so when we are called to pursue justice, we are stepping back into alignment with the melody that God has composed to us, for us. Look at verse 12. The psalmist says, Arise, O Lord, punish the wicked, stand up. Do not ignore the helpless. He says, bring justice. Bring this distorted noise and this, this mess. Bring it back into line. Verse 15, he goes as far as saying, break the arms of the wicked evil people. Sounds kind of violent, but when you think about what they're doing, actually breaking an arm is probably not that bad after all. But what he's actually saying is break their strength, break down. You know, we would say break the back, you know, break the strength, neutralize them, render them powerless, O oh God. So we have a picture here, not of a composer, but as of, of a warrior. God is the judge. God, in verse 16, is the mighty king. He is coming down on all injustice. His sword is at his side. But look in verse 14. Mm. 
you see the trouble and the grief they cause. You take note of it. In verse 17, it says, you hear the cries of the helpless. You've come to, to comfort them. His heart is tender to the weak and the oppressed. So we see these two sides of God in this psalm. To the wicked, to the oppressors, the abusers, he responds with righteous fury. Right? He, he brings judgment, he punishes every evil, every sin, every injustice. They're not getting away with it. But to the weak, to those who have been taken advantage of, to the abused, those who've been treated as trash, he comes with tenderness. He hears their heart cry. He sees their suffering. He stands alongside them. He feels their pain. And it says he comes to comfort them. To bring them freedom and to release them. That's what he does. But I think this sets up a bit of a conundrum, at least it does for me. What if I'm guilty of injustice? What if you are? Few of us have the opportunity of Vladimir Putin or Adolf Hitler or some other terrifying leader. We, none of us will ever have the, the level of accolade from their supporters, the resources of their armed forces at their disposal, the, the, the sort of twisted ideologies but if you did, if I did, then who knows what we'd be capable of? Just because we don't have the means or the motive or the opportunity, things could be very different for us. I think each of us share a similar impulse. We, we hate injustice, but we've probably committed it in some way as well. Right? We, we, we've, we've denied rights to other people in order to get ourselves ahead, somehow or other. Sometimes we've been willing to climb over other people or press them down to get what we want. Perhaps you've found yourself in history in the past using people, abusing them, slandering against them. You may not have set off a car bomb in Belfast, you may not have punched a vulnerable pensioner in the face, but if we're honest, We've probably robbed justice from people who deserve justice. We've all of us preferred ourselves at the expense of others at some point. We have. The Bible presses us even deeper. It asks us, but have you always sought justice? Have you always stuck up for the weak and the vulnerable? Have you always spoken out of injustice, against injustice, or have you just let it slide? Have you just turned a blind eye? You see, it's a kind of a gray area, isn't it? So, this morning, do you welcome the God of justice or do you fear him? Do you desire his justice, but only when it's applied to other people? As long as it doesn't fall on me, I'm good with that. But God's justice is bigger than that, it is impeccable, it is total. God comes against every evil. 
So how can we welcome justice without destroying ourselves? Well, the answer the Bible gives us is, is Jesus. It's the gospel. You see, in the, in the gospel, God's justice is so great that all evil was punished. But in the gospel, God's love is so great that all people can be set free. How, how, how does he achieve that? Well, we see the person of Jesus in the New Testament particularly, clearly. He's the only perfect person that ever lives. He was morally perfect, completely without faults. He never mistreated anybody. He never dismissed them. He never oppressed anyone to get his own way. He always loved totally and every day. And yet, the greatest injustice the world has ever seen happened when the powers of evil and darkness plotted against Jesus. They slandered him. They trashed his reputation. They physically abused him. They tortured him like lions, it says in verse 7, ready to pounce. They killed him. They nailed him to a cross. And there... What did Jesus do? He gave a song of lament. He used a psalm very similar to this. He said, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why do you seem so far away? He may have used the, ver the words from verse uh, 1 here. Why do you stand so far away? Why do you hide when I'm in trouble? He was lamenting from the cross. He felt like that, by the way, because on the cross, God was dealing with injustice. He was dealing with evil because Jesus took it on himself. That sword of God's justice fell on Jesus. That's what was going on. That's why he felt forsaken. So how is this gospel? Right? How is this good news? It's good news because the sword of God's justice fell on him. It didn't fall on you. God's justice had to be done. And yet God's love is so great that he gave you a way out. So when you place your faith in Jesus, the scripture teaches us, as we were singing earlier on, God looks on him and pardons me. This is the great exchange. All my junk, all my injustice placed on him and he took it in my place. And so through faith, justice is done. Through faith, love flows. Finally then, we've seen how God is active against injustice. Finally then, how can you overcome justice? Maybe you have been, as we've been thinking, the subject of injustice. We all see it in our world. There's no doubt about that. You sense that anger against it. What can you do? Well, we've got five practices that I present to you for your consideration about how you can overcome injustice. There they are behind me. We'll take them one at a time briefly, and then that's us done. Five practices. The first practice about how you can overcome injustice is lament. That's what we're reading here. That's what Jesus was doing from the cross. 
I read one of the accounts of one of the people who survived Bloody Friday they were just thinking about. And it seemed to be back in those days, no one spoke about it, particularly if you were caught up. No one, no one talked. People didn't speak about their ideal, their ordeal. They just sort of buried it. And actually what that does, as, as he was later on recounting 50 years later, is that adds further injury. You know, the shock waves of the blasts have all but died out, but the shock waves of the injury carry on on the emotional, the psychological, the spiritual level. If you bury it, it's very unhealthy. And so the first thing, when you see injustice, when you experience it, when you see it take place in some other situation, learn to lament. Cry it out. Cry out to God. The Psalms are full of it. It's actually amazing. The more you, re- they, they, they all seem to be about this injustice. Most of them. Take their words. Take Psalm 10. Take Psalm 13, 14, whatever. They're all the same, similar. Show you how to process your pain, process your experience. So if you see it, if you're on the receiving end of it, name it, state it, be honest about it, and lament. Pour out your heart. Bring it to God. It's okay to be angry with God. It's okay to say why. But you have to know he'll answer you back. Second practice to overcoming injustice. Swing the focus onto God's justice. Okay? Try and capture the big picture. He starts off in this psalm, God, you feel so far away. Why why are you hiding? And then he spends verses 2 through 11 at least meditating and talking and turning over about the enemy, how the enemy is powerful. The enemy's done this, the enemy's done that. It's consuming him. But as we've been seeing, God is the God of justice. He is the composer of peace. Justice is complete in God's remit. Justice is total. It is penetrating. It is inevitable and it is perfect. That is his justice. It shall be done. Yes, we have not seen the fullness of that. That's why we say, come, Lord. That's why we say your kingdom come. We've been confessing in the Apostles' Creed that Jesus, it says, will come again to judge the living and the dead. No one gets away with it. No one. Hold on to this. This is God's justice. It sets the scene for how we process and deal with injustice. It takes guts to hold on to that. It takes power to hold on to that. You need help to hold on to that. That's why we are a community on mission. We are helping one another as a community. We are stirred by injustice to eradicate it. We work through this together. Point to the God of justice. Third practice is to seek justice, not payback. That is so easy to say. But when you're the one who has been acted uh, against You want payback. But God says, quoted a number of times throughout the Bible, vengeance is mine, he says. I will repay. That's my job, says the Lord. I can do it better than you. I can do it to the fullness that you can't. I can do it perfectly. You can't. Yes, God says to you, act. Yes, seek justice, but do not seek retaliation. This is not tit for tat. That is how feuds begin. That's how wars start. You do not fight injustice with more injustice because then the lines get very blurry. It becomes a total mess. 
seek justice, not payback. You can advocate for justice by finding out more from these guys about freedom mandates. We, we uh, organize, work with another organization called International Justice Mission. Uh, again, you should check that out if you're not familiar with that, IJM. International Justice Mission, do some amazing work in, in countries across the world seeking justice for those who have none. You can be a voice for the voiceless, whether the poor in our city, whether the persecuted Christians are around the world. We are not short of opportunities to do justice. Everybody. Seek justice, not payback. If you have been personally abused, the powers of the state can bring you some justice police and the legal system. It is good, but it is imperfect. The system can be played, and yet God cannot be fooled. Seek justice, not payback. Fourth practice I encourage you, exhort you to do, is be humbled by the gospel, as we've been thinking none of us are perfect. All of us have withheld justice in some form, whether you've held a grudge, resentment, unforgiveness. We all need God's grace in the gospel, otherwise we are all in trouble. Yes, there are greater or lesser applications of sin and injustice in the world. Absolutely. We hate that. And yet we all need God's grace and mercy in the gospel. When we understand that, it grows humility. Be humbled by the gospel. Fifthly and finally, experience progressive restoration. This is the hope that we have Progressive restoration. Yes, we can experience real and true restoration in this life because of what Jesus has done for us. It may even start for you this morning. It may even start now as we're thinking about these things together. Real and true restoration. But yes, it will be progressive. Growing. Strengthening week by week, month by month, year by year. But substantially, yes. In that direction, yes. Will it be completed before Jesus returns? Probably not. But yes, real and true freedom. Real and true life. Doesn't mean forgetting what happened. Doesn't mean to say that all that was okay. No, but the hope of the gospel is that through Jesus Christ sending his Holy Spirit to you, you have the power of the Holy Spirit living within you, the new life that he brings. Therefore, healing is yours, freedom is yours. That can start today if it has not already begun in your heart. In a few moments' time, we're going to close out. And uh, I'd just love to offer my uh, prayers for you if you want to talk with me or pray through anything that we've talked about. I would be delighted to do that today or at some other point in the next few weeks. Um, but... Please, if you, if you feel the Spirit of God stirring you, or even if you just want someone to talk with, um, please identify any, anyone who's, who's serving today, um, but, but come talk to me as well. I'd love to offer that, that uh, prayer ministry, that help if I can. Let's, let's stand together, though. Let's pray. Let's have some quiet uh, reflection, just a bit of space for you. Um, if you need to respond to something that God is saying to you, something he's doing within your heart, addressing a memory or an experience, maybe he's addressing your anger, resentment perhaps.
allow the Holy Spirit to, to minister in your hearts, and then we'll worship.